0: Wow. How do you follow that? Crying. I've actually already asked that that be sung at my funeral. So if some of y'all can remember that, that would be great. Because I'm not going to remember it because I'm going to be with Jesus. This week we're going to talk about a man born blind. We're going to be looking at Jesus as the light of the world who opens the eyes of the physical and spiritually blind. And we're going to be answering a question. Do you have something in your life that impairs your vision? Perhaps it's known or unknown. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning for breakthrough anointing that if we're blindsided, if there are things in our lives, something that impairs our vision, a block or something, a spiritual hindrance, a physical hindrance, whatever it may be, an emotional hindrance, something that would block the flow of your spirit in our lives. God, this is the day we want to deal with that. So we pray for Jehovah Rapha, the healer, to come and be in our midst and heal these areas of our lives that we may be set free. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you have something in your life that is creating a block, a lack of a flow of water? Do you have something in your life that is hindering your walk with Christ? I certainly was blindsided this week. I had this situation come up that I didn't even know it. And you know those that are closest to you, get people around you that love you enough to tell you the truth because you don't see your junk. You don't see the things in your life. You can't see them because our self righteousness, our pride, it could be a million other things, tends to blockade our vision. And so this week, I asked my husband for something. My birthday's not until July, and I'm already asking in February. And he. Um, He said to me, Joanne, there's a lot of things that we've been doing lately, and he reiterated them. He's the kindest man in the universe. And he outlaid all the things we're doing, and he said, I I feel like maybe you're not grateful for what we can do, and you're thinking about what we can't do. Whap! I was so blindsided at the stinking stuff inside of me. I texted him because he'd already left for work by then, and I couldn't repent then because I was still mad. So, (laughs) I will say this. I'm getting quicker at repenting. Do not wait until you're my age, younger women of faith. Just get in the game quicker because it goes a lot better if you do. So I immediately texted him, and I said, You know, that was uncalled for. You're the most gracious, giving, loving, kind man I've ever known other than my own dad. And I want you to understand that I am saying I am sorry, and I don't need a thing except you in my life. Of course, that worked really well for me. (laughs) I want to point out to you all something on the front end, and I know he's not going to be very happy for me to do this, but we have a chaplain over drawing you to God. And this is a, um, a moment in time in the juncture of this ministry where he calls himself the Ministry of Presence. And this is a time at the end of this where there's some blocks and there's some healing, and I'm going to ask him to come up here with the women and be a part of this uh, to, to pray for you because I know that I know that this is the week for breakthrough for some of you. I mean, God's woken me up in the middle of the night for where you're impaired, where you have a block. Maybe you don't know, but you know something isn't happening right. Just a little drip of the faucet. You know that you just know that there's not a full stream of the Spirit in your life. And if we aren't deluged by the water of God, literally, the living water, if we aren't able to, to feel that we are being refreshed and filled, then there is something that is blocking the water of the Spirit in your life. And I feel like we need to get the big guns up here. So we will have Chaplain um, Alexander with us this morning um, to come up with our prayer team. This week, we're looking at a man born blind. Do you have something in your life that is blocking you? Last week, I took quite a bit of time. I'm going to take about 60 seconds to reiterate it. It was that important. Because last week what I realized is that we're taking the stories in the Bible and they're like little frames. Do you know how you put a movie together and you take this frame and this frame and this frame and then they're all put together and it becomes one fluid movement? It's a movie. And so what I was fearing is that we were extrapolating these stories, wonderful stories, and we weren't doing two things. One is we weren't entering into the story for transformation. This happened this to this person that was blind. This happened to this woman that, that was an adulteress. This happened to this, whatever it may be. We needed to enter into the story. And the second thing that had me concerned is that we were framing it out so that we looked at each individual lesson but weren't threading them together. Because when you thread them together and enter into the stories, that's when transformation takes place. And the word the Lord gave me for 28... Are we in 2018? 2017... Is Wow, I skipped a whole year because I'm in a hurry to get this out. I want to just put my pedal to the metal and just go, go, go for God because you all, we don't have time to waste. There's no time to be apathetic. There's no time to go, when I get it together, I will do great things for Christ. There's no time to say I'll be transformed when I can just have this change and this circumstance change and you don't know what's in my life. Those are all lies from the devil you cannot help but get in the game now because Jesus has need of your hands and your feet. So anything less than that, you're living under the mission rather than submitting to God. So we want to um, begin to understand that as we frame this out, in the beginning was God, and we see that Jesus was there in the very beginning. So John pens the words... And he's saying right in the middle, God has to be at the center. And then he moved into the wedding at Cana we talked about where Jesus turns the water into wine, and he is literally the wine. He is the wine of the new kingdom. In fact, the scriptures say that when he came and he ushered in his new kingdom, Jesus said, "You, this container, the vessel, is going to burst if you don't get a new vessel. In other words, when you put wine into an old container, it ferments and it breaks. And Jesus says, I am the wine. I'm coming into your container. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have a new container so that you can contain my spirit within you. We can't contain Christ. We break Christ apart from him. We're under the law apart from him, rather than under the spirit of grace. And so we begin to move and we see that that story weaves into the story about Jesus cleansing the temple. We are that temple. He went into the temple in Jerusalem. He said, "You're making my dad's house a den of thieves and you're doing all these things and with the money and you've ruined it." What about our temple? Weave it together, ladies. Weave it together. We see Nicodemus at night seeking God. Some of us are like that. Some of you watching by streaming are like that. We come undercover. We don't want people to know that we really don't believe that Christ is the Messiah. Or we're seeking to find out if he is, and we go undercover, and it's a good thing. I love seekers. I love to talk to people that are unbelievers, and you should too. Because you and I are the hope of the world. Because Jesus lives within us. We have opportunities facing us every single day. We are the women at Samaria. We are that woman that sat beside the well who was thirsty. And Jesus said, I am the living water. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst. The healing at the poop pool of Bethesda. We're that man that sat there 28 years. And some of you are going, no, I'm not. Have you ever asked yourself the question, do I really want to get healed? Sometimes that pity pot feels really good. Do I really want to do these things? Did I really want to repent and then move forward in my blindsidedness? Not really. It felt icky to have to do that. But do I really, really, really want to get well and be free where the Spirit is? Indeed, I do. And so we too are the woman at the well. We're thirsty. We need healing and help. And the Jesus in the the 5,000 where he broke the bread and the fish... And he said, just take what you have. And you open up your hands and you look in there and say, there's just crumbs in there. And God says, I'll multiply the crumbs. Do you see the difference when we thread each frame of the story into one movement? And honestly, John does a magnificent job of layering this word. He takes us to the natural history. He takes us to the ancient times. We see what happened. He also takes you to the next level and finally to the deepest level where you really know he's getting messy in your life. We see Jesus walks on the water. And what does he say? He says, don't be afraid. Are you in the turbulent waters of life right now? He walks out to you and he says, don't be afraid. He says he's the bread of life. I'm more than enough. Jesus says, I'm more than enough. And then last week, we get to the guilty woman. The woman who came because she was an adulteress, running through the streets half naked. We still don't know where the man is. I still haven't sorted that one out. And in Deuteronomy, he was supposed to be stoned too. But we understand that she came, and Jesus said, Whoever's not guilty, you cast the first stone. Y'all, we cast stones. We cast stones at each other and we're all guilty. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We sin every single day. We have an advocate for sure. But here's the problem. We throw stones because of our self-righteousness. Now look, I'm preaching to the choir, so don't get mad at me. This is totally me I'm preaching to. When I pour my guts out, out here, it's because the Father and I and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the whole team are working on this vessel here. And it takes all three of them working on me and a crowd of other people like you to help. We are these people in the stories, but God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He sent the very best so that when we become the woman that's thirsty, when we become the woman that's adulterous, and you say, well, I haven't ever slept with anybody. Well, how about when you've had idolatry and you've turned to other gods and you've prostituted yourself before God and put other things before Jesus? I dare say that's a form of adultery. You know, there's a lot of ways to skin this cat, a lot of ways to look at it. We see the guilty woman, and he says, it's not okay, but I forgive you. No one else is going to stone you, and I forgive you. And he releases her into freedom, and he says, go and sin no more. You see, the Pharisees had their stinking thinking going on. Their Pharisees had decided this was a way to test Jesus, and we remember that from last week. If you weren't here, please go online and watch. It's the beauty of having these things streamed and archived as you can go back and watch them every week, and sometimes we need to watch them several times to get them to sink in. Let's take a look at the first slide. There are eight I am statements of Jesus in the word. And actually, I'm going to add one more that I noticed this morning because there's another one um, that I'll share with you. I am the bread of life, John 6, 35. Jesus said all these things about himself. So when you go through the gospel of John, you're going to see all of these I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He's the bread of life. When he came and he, he took the bread and he multiplied it, he said, I'm the bread of life. I love it that you're taking pictures. That's a great way to take notes. I love that. I'm the light of the world. That's what we're going to begin to walk into this week just a little bit when we see... Um, that Jesus is the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. He's trying to explain, I was in the beginning, and the beginning was God, and I was with God. Before Abraham existed, I am. I mean, they were really ticked off about that. Are you saying that you're better than Abraham? I am the door. And all the others now we're going to come into. I just wanted you all to have these because we'll look at I am the door in John 10. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the vine. I would add, although he did not say I am the living water in John 7:37, it certainly is implied at the woman at the well that he was indeed the living water. He definitely was the I am the living water. You can take those down. I'm going to show you a video for a moment. And the reason I like this particular one so much coming off of the I Am statements is when we look at Jesus and all the things he said about himself and we begin to understand who he was, what he came for, he knew his mission, he heard from his Abba Daddy what to do, he came, at one point he said, Father, take the cup from me, but he walked out to the cross for the love of us. And we begin to understand who he is. This video is actually a little clip of a current way of looking at Jesus Christ.
1: You ask me who he is, he is water, he is sky. He is a fountain, never running dry, the answer to all questions, why? He is peace, he is glory, and glory increase, he is house and he is home, he is shelter when you roam, he is faith and he is love, he came down from above to be in the world but not of, sinless like a dove, he is canceled debt. He is all we get, all we need. He is end all and be all. The all in all, almighty, all powerful, and all hope after the fall. He is call and we are answered. His love is like cancer, leading not just to death, but to resurrection. He is my hopeful infection, my vote for election. Place him on the throne of your heart. He is start and he is end, where broken hearts go to mend. He is send and he is return, he is fire, so let it Burn, let it sing, let it praise. He is all of my days, weeks, months, and years. He is blood, sweat, and holy tears. He is persevere. He is without fear, and he is drawing near. He is light, he is sight, he is fight, he is might, and he is more than right. He is good. He is everything that we should, but could not be. He took blindness so that we could see and be set free. He is freedom, and we need him. The heavens have decreed him, you ask me who he is and he is God
0: He is light and he is sight. In the beginning was God. And we recognize that in him is all light and the darkness cannot overcome the light. And when we begin to move into the fact that he is the light of the world, we begin to see this amazing picture of Jesus this week as light. I want us to look... At John 8:12, though our lesson is John chapter 9, it is, it is important that we frame this week's lesson with John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus speaks and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we begin to see that Jesus is saying that he is the light. And the Pharisees are so annoyed with him, they don't know what to do. They said, how can you say that? And, and where, where are you coming from? And who are your witnesses? And on and on, you all, every time light shines, the darkness comes right back behind it to try to overcome it. So when you begin to walk in the power of God, the enemy comes back in in the back door. And you've got to be aware. You've got to be alert. You've got to understand that Jesus is all we need, but we must seek him with our hands open because the enemy does not play fair. He is light. He is the sight to the blind, to the places where we are impaired. In fact, the word impaired means damaged or weak. Let's see if I can find that note. Yes, it means the state of being weakened or damaged, the places in our lives where light needs to come in and break through, the places in our lives where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, follow me, and I will break that darkness off of you. And the Pharisees are just arguing. They don't know what to do with him. It's the most amazing thing because they're arguing in the temple treasury, which is in the court of women adjacent to that, The first temple court was the court of Gentiles. Then we move into the court of women in the temple itself. And it was called that way because the women could not pass beyond there in that day unless they were offering a sacrifice. I'm trying to just kind of give you a framework. The temple treasury was a busy place with constant worshipers. And Jesus is announcing, I am the light of the world. It all took place during the Feast of the Tabernacles and there was a ceremony called the Illumination of the Temple. I love this. It takes place in the court of women and there were four great candelabras that were prepared. They were lit up in the darkness, and they kept, there was a celebration all night long, and they have these four huge lights. Now imagine it with your sanctified imagination. He's right here. He's during the Feast of Tabernacles. He's in the court of women, and this illumination celebration comes up, and he stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine what they were thinking? In the midst of this celebration, you all, every single thing in the Bible points to Jesus. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come. He is the red thread. He is the scarlet thread throughout all of history, throughout all of Scripture. He says, I am the light, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness. The next slide is going to show you what it means to follow Jesus. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. The word akaluthin means has different its associated meanings. It can mean used as a soldier following his captain. Now think about this for a minute. The Pharisees are hearing this word, and they are thinking of the connotation that this man Jesus is saying to them who are the leaders, who are the ones that lead the religious system. Now think about this. He's saying, follow me as the light of the world. Follow me as a soldier, follows his captain. Follow me as a slave accompanying his master. Follow me, used of accepting a wise counselor's opinion, used in obedience to the laws of state. Now, I bet you that one got him mad. Used as following a teacher, a follower of Christ, follows so closely that his path is illuminated. He's taught by his master and his wise counselor. The Pharisees hear that said to them. Jesus just said, follow me as if we're a slave. What? Follow me as if he is the captain. Wait a minute, we are the captain of the ship here. You are a nobody. Follow me as the teacher. Think about how mad the Pharisees get. Now, I want you to translate that. You can take that down to today's world. When people confess and profess Jesus as Lord, and they say, we are following him as if we are a slave. We are enslaved by his beauty and his love. He is our captain. He is our guiding light. He is our wise counselor. And the people of intellect and the people perhaps not in those intellectual circles, no matter where, they're looking at us thinking, wait a minute, but the world teaches us this, this, and this. And you're telling us there is someone to follow. It's perplexing. It's radical. It's hard. It was in the beginning and is still hard in the 20th century. We have to begin to understand that when we confess Jesus as Lord, it is perplexing to a lost world, but it is life to them in the hearing. I want to say that again. We must give out our light and not hide it under a bushel. This is the day and this is the hour where we must not shrink back because in this place, people actually are so thirsty and so hungry and so desirous of something, they don't know that it is someone who can lay hands on their spiritual eyes and open them up. We have a responsibility to follow our master and then to call people to follow us who are Christ followers. We don't want them to look at us, but sometimes they need flesh and blood to follow, right? And then they'll look to Christ. The Pharisees just couldn't take it, you all. They're so mad. Just don't say that because they knew in Psalm 27.1 that the Lord God was the light, not this Messiah uh, impersonation here. They argue all kinds of things about you don't have a witness and, and, you know, who's your witness? And Jesus says, I don't need a witness, and on and on it goes. And then he said, God the Father's the witness. They didn't listen, and neither do people today. But some do, and you never know to whom you're talking. You never know who is listening to you. So we hold back because we think they're not going to listen. But maybe one out of five who is so thirsty and their marriage is so on the rocks and they're in the pit of the dregs of the earth are raised from the dead like Lazarus because of a word of light that you've spoken to them. Maybe you don't realize that they've been digging their grave for years and years, and they're just grave diggers. They're happy to stay there. And you speak a word of life, and all of a sudden, they feel resurrection. We are the light of the world because Jesus lives in us as the light. Jesus goes on to say, and the truth will set you free. Sin has enslaved you as the light I set you free. That's all in chapter 8 as a forerunner to chapter 9. Jesus leaves the temple, chapter 9, verse 1, and he sees this blind man. I have to tell you, I think it's pretty amazing. Do you think Jesus went, um, let me see, he purposefully went to see this blind man. He purposely heard his daddy who said, mission impossible over there. You see, he cares for every hair on our head. He comes to the lonely and the broken hearted. He doesn't leave you standing outside in the rain and the wind in the place of destruction. He says, I got your back. And he comes in when we open our arms. You all know that. You've been in places that have been so hard. And you are on your pity pot and suddenly we say, Jesus, we need you. And he's there. The blind man met Jesus that day because Jesus was on assignment to meet the blind man. We're encountering a man born physically blind. As we examine this week's healing, we're going to be answering these questions. Is there something in your life where you are blind? Is there any circumstance in which you would just prefer to close your eyes and be in denial? Now, that's a big one. Let's just be in denial. Any situation where you're praying that the Lord would open your eyes to truth? All of those questions are sort of rumbling around in this story in John chapter 9. Now here's the biggest question. As he passed by, he saw a man, verse 1 in chapter 9, blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither the man that sinned nor his parents. It was for the work of God, this work to be seen, so that God would be glorified. So I want you to understand there's some things going on in the ancient days that just to give you a little bit of a framework, number one, in the time of Jesus, the Jews believed in the pre-existence of a soul. It was sort of getting that idea from Plato and the Greeks. They believed that all souls existed before the creation of the world in the Adam Garden of Eden. I'm sort of trying to picture this for myself, all these souls just kind of wandering around. Or they thought maybe they were in the seventh heaven, or in a certain chamber waiting to enter the body. So the Greeks believed that these souls were good and that it was when they came and entered into the body that they got contaminated. That was one school of thought. Another is they had a strange notion of prenatal sin. They believed a man could actually sin in the womb while still in the mother's womb. Alternatively, another thing they thought of was that the man's affliction was due to the sin of his parents. That's actually substantiated in Scripture. In the Old Testament, we read in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity, that is, the sins, the perversions, Etc. of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. I'm scratching my head thinking, that isn't fair. I didn't commit the sin. Why does it have to be the generations before me? But here's the way this works. Think about it. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. And so the things that have happened impact us. And so that is why it's so important to pray about the generational line. Pray about the things that you've seen in your generational line that maybe aren't so pretty. You can see an alcoholic. Alcoholism is the clearest example I use a lot. You can see it running through. We understand that physiologically it also has those implications, that, but we also know that it is a habitual generational sin. You can see a dad, a child that was beaten, and then he goes and beats his son. Etc. Etc. So we want to break that generation. If you have that, come up for prayer. We'll pray about your generations. And you can pray all the way back to Adam and Eve and ask the Lord to cleanse your arm um, line. Here's the thing that's amazing about that. Barclay comments that no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. When a man sins, he sets in motion a train of consequences. So it is true that if the generations before you had some sins... They might impact you. And fourthly, the school of thought is the sinful nature, and this one is biblically accurate. The Scripture says we are born sinners and we are by nature sinners. Psalm 51, 5 states that we all come to the world as sinners. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Ephesians 2 says that all people who are not in Christ are sons of disobedience. Here's the thing. We have a fallen nature. Because in the beginning of time, Adam and Eve sinned. And so we do have this consequence of having that but God in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ, came. That we who are born that way might be covered by Christ, forgiven by Him, covered in His blood, that we might no longer be called sinful, but that we might be called covered by the blood of the Lamb. In summary, man in the womb can't sin, but man is born with a sinful nature. So who sinned, Jesus said, that the glory of God would be revealed in this. Now this is an interesting thing. God does not give us, I read this in Oswald Chambers, God does not give us overcoming life. He gives us life as we overcome. And we see this in the story. I want to say that again because it's an important statement. God does not just give us overcoming life. He gives us life as we overcome. This man was told to go put, um, he was spit on. He had mud thrown in his face, so to speak. But he had a part in it. He had to go wash in the pool of Siloam. We overcome as we step out in faith and we co-labor with God. Jesus does his part. This man stepped out. Can you imagine? He has mud on his eyes. Well, I was telling the leadership team, I guess it didn't really matter because he couldn't see anyway. He was blind. But imagine what he looked like as he's walking to the pool of Siloam, somebody leading him, leading the blind with mud on his eyes. And by the way, just before class, I had this um, thought, and I I believed it was the Lord, to look up, I know it is because it really works so well, but um, to look up, the healing if there's any healing uh, components to mud or to saliva and listen to what I found the healing properties of the mud you can see are actually in the sea the red the dead sea some of you all know that we buy some of their products you know the salts and all that because we think it's the eternal youth fountain it hadn't worked for me yet but you scrub your body with all the salt stuff and then your eyes burn and you know my husband thinks it's hilarious all the things that I do So, but this mud actually is a mix of minerals that draw toxins from the body. Is that not the coolest thing in the whole world? And then listen to saliva. The saliva may have properties that aid aid wounds and help with the healing process. They they contain cells that are derived from tissue and they have many um, compounds that are antibacterial that promote healing. I just thought that was so, so cool. And I just, I just looked that up a second ago, and I thought, Lord, you, you're just brilliant. And he's going, yes, I'm God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus performed this magnificent miracle, but the man had to go wash in the pool. So you're asking for a miracle. You're asking for something. Now, some miracles, some, some don't happen. Some of you say, and I know some of you are... Um, are blind in here and some of you have other ailments. But here's the thing: he may not have healed that, but you have seen him heal miraculously where you are impaired. You see, God does God is God. He does the way he wants to, how he wants to, when he wants to. It's amazing. We see this incredible thing. You see, the Jews just could not, the Pharisees could not figure all this out. The Jews were so, the Pharisees were so ticked off that they threw this man out of the temple. They cast him out. You know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Who is this Jesus? They cast him out of the temple. The parents are like, I don't know, ask him, he's of age. I mean, they just passed the buck to him. And I know it was important, they didn't want to lose their temple status. But what about this poor son? He probably had rejection after that. The Jews cast the man out of the temple. But the Lord of the temple found him. Now, I think you ought to write that down. That's good. The Jews cast the man out of the temple, but the Lord of the temple found the blind man. Are you outcast today? Are you rejected today? Are you feeling forlorn? If you haven't, you will or you have. But God met him in that place. And I want to end with this slide four. I went out to take pictures with my granddaughter. And my daughter, granddaughter's name is Hopi. Hopi. And she gave me a whole new perspective on life last week. We walked around in the streets, and she had a camera, and I told her I'd like to have to take some pictures for my blog. And by the way, so many of you are having trouble signing up for the blog. You just go on joanneellison.com and sign up for the blog. It's really not that hard, but if you have trouble with it, please call Tori, and she'll help you get on there. Because a lot of times we post things, in fact, we almost always do, about the lesson um, during the week Mondays and Thursdays. Hopi went around with her camera, and you all, she saw things that I never saw. She got on her belly, literally, and there was a crack, and she's taking a photo of a crack in the, in the cement. And I'm thinking, what is she seeing and she began to show me a whole new world, the beauty of things. In this, we were walking down the street, and can you see that broken glass right there? And so, actually, she thinks it says hope, H-O-P-E. It, you see that too, really? How cool is that? She was so happy, but she said, yeah, that window still is a window, even though it's broken. You see, Jesus saw the blind man. That was broken, but he saw a man, though he was broken, that was still an instrument in the hands of God. Next slide. She saw this little angle, and I, you know, it's just, it didn't really seem that important to me, but she said, yeah, what I wanna do is I wanna frame the flowers and the sign together. Next slide. And this is her taking the pictures as she looks at the tip and the point of that, and all she took was the point. Now, why am I saying that? And Crystal, honey, you can come up while I'm talking because we're going to end this now. Why am I saying that about Hopi? Because I remember years ago when my sister-in-law was in a wheelchair. She started out in a walker. She ended up in a wheelchair, and then she was bedridden. But I remember the days when she was in a wheelchair, and people either didn't want to look at her, or they would look at her, and the kids would go, What's wrong? I wonder. People do that. We know that. But I realized that when Jesus saw the blind man, he saw who he was. The magnificent creation of God Almighty, El Elyon. God, Elohim, the creator. And so Jesus looked directly at him and saw the beauty, just like my little granddaughter saw the beauty in all these things. Women of faith... (laughs) He looks at you, and he sees his magnificent creature. He doesn't see the sin. He didn't see my how nasty I was to my husband. He, he saw it, but I repented. What he sees is he sees someone who's being transformed into a butterfly, someone who God can use because they're willing to be transparent and vulnerable. Now, I expect this room to come up here for prayer this morning. Prayer teams come up as Crystal sings. Kim, this is the
2: air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence. This is my daily bread, you're everything to me, this is my daily bread. Nothing like being in your presence Your holy presence again. I'm lost without you, without you, there's nothing worth more, that could ever come close, nothing can compare, you're our living The sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free, and the shame is under.
3: darkest night of silence and fear in the cold Sure, now I know, but you.